going on? Happy draft week. It's uh, always a little different for me not doing the radio. This is one of the things that's a little different because doing draft week on the radio, and I would find just different ways to do it. I don't know what you guys are doing. I've, I've been checking out the show a lot. I don't feel like you're doing as much draft, and I'm not saying, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm not paying enough attention to it. It didn't feel like obsessive draft coverage from ESPN in general this year as I feel like it's been in other years. Does that feel right, or is that just me looking at it through my own prism because I'm not in it every day? Well, I mean, I don't know if it's because they moved it back that it's like you have all this time to talk about the same stuff because, you know... Well, they actually moved it back, like backwards again as opposed to like they used to have it when they tried to move it what into may was yeah. it in may for a couple times yeah and last year it was in may wasn't it? i think anyway yeah um but yeah i don't know because because the problem the problem is like a lot of these conversations we're even having like during the season like i remember us having the the kyler, the kyler Murray, thing, should he go yeah. one like you know middle midway through the through the regular season so how do you sort of do new stuff months later um I don't know. It's tough. Like you got to just come think and think of new ideas. Like what are new things? And plus, like here's the thing too: you can't get too into the weeds because it's like how many people know all these draft prospects either. Yeah, that's that's the thing is you can't really like Scott and I used to do that nerd radio thing, and I mean that as a compliment. Like we would get really into stuff, and we started talking recruiting. And sometimes when you're doing it too, you're like, I'm doing this not because it's a great segment, but I want everyone to understand how smart I am. Yeah, come see us, you know. Yeah, right. And it, it takes a while. I think there's a lot of, like, I'll listen to reporters now and I go, you know, that was a terrible question, but I used to do some of that stuff too, where you'd be like, I noticed at the 331 mark of the third quarter that you guys ran this play. And it's like, you know what? All you're doing is trying to impress Doc Rivers. So, um, I'm just telling people right now, like, trying not to get mad at younger dudes that are on the air. Or younger females that do it because a lot of times it's kind of this insecurity thing where you're like, I'm going to show how smart everybody. Um, and that's a bad sentence, so I don't even sound that smart right there. All right, so here's the plan for this week. We have Todd McShay for like 45 minutes. Uh, we're going to do that with him. And then from the MMQB NSI.com, Albert Breer. So we're going to do the McShay draft stuff. We're going to do some draft stuff with Bert as well, but also a lot of newsy things because he had a really good piece about some of the trade market stuff. So we have a jam-packed NFL draft week podcast for you. That's what we're doing, and I'm not really going to do any other stuff. Shout out to Frank for last week. Uh, come back in a big way. People still do hate you, but we definitely we got some good stuff off the air from him, and I ended up being like, look, I know where Frank's head's at, so... Uh, I'm just going to say it. It may not be popular. Team Frank. Team Frank. Yeah, Frank was awesome last week, actually, I thought. I had a few people text me and be like, yeah, he came off a little bit more likable. He, you know, the, the numbers are never going to add up for some people. That's okay. Yeah. But that's all right. You know, yeah. you know, and he, he actually took some advice and might want to be improved as a human being. That's all we asked for. Yeah. I don't even think he wanted me to do it. I think it was just something where it was like wanting to quit smoking and instead of just quitting or trying to figure out a different way to do it, you bet your friend 200 bucks, I'm going to quit smoking. And that's your motivation. And that's, I think, what Frank was trying to do when he was calling in to the show. Team Frank is dangerous. That's a dangerous statement in 2019. But I'm going to go ahead and say it. I did it. I could My Q score could take a hit for that. But we just try to keep this thing real. So nice let's get to those guys. But first, you were about to say something, Sturdy. No, you're good. I was saying you're, you're safe. You're fine. you got you got enough okay. built-up equity with the people. I think people understand where I'm coming from. You know, he's just trying to put himself out there. But the younger dude that we're going to talk to, 
We'll do that. We're not going to, we're not going to mess with the draft stuff. Be like, Hey, another life coach thing and this guy, McShay. <laughs> I just, I don't feel like that would be the best use of uh, the next hour or so. So here's what we're doing. Let's read some ads because we're going to try to make this fun. For all the biggest achievements in life, who's the one person that's always been there unconditionally supporting you every step of the way? It's mom. Your forever biggest fan. This Mother's Day, show her just how much you appreciate the love with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, when you get ahead of the Mother's Day rush, 1-800-Flowers will give you an exclusive 36 for 36 offer. 36 sorbet roses for just $36. That's only $1 per rose. Let me just put it this way. The sorbet rose is the rose that you want to be dealing with. That's the lane you want to be in with mom. Red works kind of weird, though. Pink is the friendship deal. You ever bought a girl a thing of 12 pink roses and not realize that it's meaning friendship? Because that doesn't go over well. Um, that's why I want to hear flowers. And there's the point that I'm going to hammer home that's not even in the script. Those of you that are going to do something for Mother's Day, which is a lot of you, nothing's going to change between now and then. Mother's Day isn't going to move. She's still going to be your mom. And you're going to have to do something anyway. So why wouldn't you just handle your business now? So that's what you need to do because one of her flowers bouquets take care of all of that stuff. With an impressive mix of pastel shades and pink, orange, and lavender, these roses are guaranteed to make her smile. Your mom's going to be like, oh my God, did you get sorbet? How did you even know about that? And you're just going to go, internet. Roses are the perfect way to surprise all the moms in your life, wife, sister, grandma, or to celebrate any spring occasion. Just anybody. Go to a park and hit up a mom and be like, here's some sorbet roses. Maybe you shouldn't do that. These breathtaking roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness. 36 sorbet roses for $36 is an amazing offer, but you have to hurry because it expires Friday. Don't put this off. Order from 1-800-Flowers.com. It's what mom would want you to do. To order 36 sorbet roses for $36, go to 1-800-Flowers.com slash Ryan. That's R-Y-E-N. 1-800-Flowers.com slash Ryan. Hurry. This fantastic offer ends Friday. Okay, we knew we were going to do this this week. He's um, obviously one of my favorite guys. He's my best friend at ESPN. Todd McShay already knows that. He's headed down to Nashville. And make sure you check out First Draft the weekly draft podcast from Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. It's awesome, and uh, that's what those guys are doing. They're going to just unleash info all over your dome. But let's spend about an hour with McShay right now. I'm starting to wonder, McShay, if I did this. This has nothing to do with the draft, but it kind of does. So we'll start here. This is important. Thought it'd be good. Of all the media people that sports fans hate the most, I think – draft expert is a sneaky number one seed like i know that opinionated national guy on debate show is a lock number it's duke north carolina number one seed of most disliked um beat reporter doesn't get disliked as much i'd say local long time columnist like 30 years in a major city okay. eventually you piss everybody off in that role and everybody hates you even the teams but i really feel like people hate the mock draft guy you mean people don't love me? I do. <laughs> but no, I know. We get It's You know what I'm saying? Like why it, are people so mad at you guys? That's what I don't get. Yeah, Cuz it, it comes from a, bun, a bunch of different angles. It's like, "Oh, I love that guy in college. Why why do you have him in the second round?" Yeah. "Oh, my team's not going to take that player." There's no way. You're an idiot. <laughs> um and then I don't know. And then it's like, "I could do your job. You're like a weatherman." 
Okay. Yeah, I get it. I understand. But other men, they don't watch as much tape as you do. It's all about. Just, it, it all goes back to the tape. It all goes back to the tape. <laughs> okay. So then, I just don't worry about it anymore. I used to. I know you don't. I used to. Yeah. You know, it used to bug me. But um, no, there's enough enough stuff in life to worry about. Good. Sounds like a mature guy. Okay. Call give me in three me... days. <laughs> <laughs> he's sitting out there. He's like, round five. Like, leave me alone. But I got one guy right in my mock draft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that, too. And that's the other thing that I've never understood is that people would grade a mock draft based on like it's great if you get ten guys to the ten teams oh. you put in the first round, but it really should be more about how many of the guys going in the first round did you have right? Because if you have like fifteen of thirty-two right in your first round, then you definitely suck at this, right? Right. And it, listen, I mean, there's so many different ways. I'm not going to sit here and work it. I worry a lot more about like getting the the right guys in the top 100, and much more about the like the players that I like three years later. You know, there's still guys that eat me up. That I just who haunts you? Uh, Jamarcus Russell, freaking really? that pro day man, that pro day. And then I he sat down and was so lazy that he couldn't stand up and talk to the media and people afterwards. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And, Take and me still to Jamarcus. Do it again. Start from the beginning. Did you go out in Baton Rouge the night before? Did that have anything to do with it? No, no. I was okay. a young pup. Right, locked I was, in. Uh, locked in. Still wouldn't now. Too old. No, I know. I know you would. <laughs> Somewhere there's in the rules. Middle. There's rules to this thing. Right. You can't go no. out the night before pro day. Yeah, maybe the night after. Um, yeah. He, you know, it's like every other pro day. He's he shows up and it's inside their their indoor facility, and he is he's a giant. First of all, I'd seen him live before, so I knew. But he's just a massive dude. And they go through all the D line workout and the offensive line and the d- different positions, and then all of a sudden he's up. And he goes through a throwing session that was, first of all, it was crisp, but the ball was just, you could actually hear like the air coming off the ball. And he was just hitting every spot. And then he ends it by getting on a knee and throwing the ball, I think it was 70 yards, maybe like a fishing story at this point, but I think it was 70 yards from one knee to the other side of the, the indoor facility. And we were all just like, Whoa. And it was one of my first first pro days. So I I overrated it. I, I put too much stock into it. And then I listened to the so wrong the people. Raiders. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, right. I mean it could be worse. But uh So go ahead, keep going. This is but great. then but then when it ends, I remember talking to Michael Bonnet, who's their the S I D. Shout out. Yep. And he you know, he's like, Yeah, Jamarcus will be over in a little bit. He's uh you know, he's taking a minute. I'm like, Okay. And so I, we look over, and he's just sitting down on the side, just sitting there, sweating, which is fine. I mean, everyone sweats, but he's just, like, kind of out of breath and just sitting there. And finally, like, drags himself up and comes over and then sits down again. Like, he's just too lazy to stand up to talk to seven or eight people for television, radio, and, and print. <laughs> and that's what I, it sh- I should have been like, wait a second. I... <laughs> If I had 10 years of experience, I would have been like, wait, I, this is ridiculous. You're, you're going, hey, like I sit down, right? Yeah, and then I talked to you know, people at LSU and around the, the program. And it's like, no, he's just poised. He's just relaxed. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't let anything, he doesn't let yeah. his heart rate get too high. That's awesome. Yeah, Such AKA, a he's lazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the, that was the, that was the first big miss. You know, everyone, like, I 
from all the stuff that you'll hear at different places that you've you've gone by to visit, like after the fact, I was like, was you know, what was Jamarcus's deal? And be like, dude, he wasn't a bad guy. No, he's not a bad guy. He's just lazy. Yeah. 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 I. Well, look, a lot of people got that one wrong. A lot of people got that one wrong. Don't worry about it. Wayne okay, Gabbard, so let's, I'd like to have that one back. Yeah, the Gabbard one. That hurt. Yep. I think Cam Newton's dad hated you for like we, – we that was always I thought was weird when ESPN did a behind-the-scenes thing with Cam Newton. And he called me a like, loser? Yeah, he called you a loser, and then we ran it. Like some producer for that was like, ooh, that's good stuff. He called our draft guy a total loser. And then Cam um, sent me a pair of cleats for somebody. <laughs> wait a minute, what? <laughs> like, my mom asked me for like a pair of cleats and George Whitfield – Help get him. I just thought it was funny. Like the day that I got the pair of cleats signed from Cam, which was really nice of him. He, yeah, I, don't know. I, I, I turned on the TV you. and he's calling me a loser. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> funny story. Right? Yeah, that is really weird. Okay, all right, yeah. we could do this, but I know that people want more of the story stuff as far as this class. Okay. Yep. So, give me your what you look for when you're at home and you're doing your quarterback tape. And you go through it as you've been a seasoned guy now doing this, thinking about even some of the mistakes. So this actually segues into this yep. perfectly. When you're watching Kyler Murray, and I even think, like, look, five years ago, Kyler's a second rounder. And without Baker, who knows if he goes number one. Yep. I think that anybody that rips GMs because they screw up on quarterbacks and they go, all oh, these guys are stupid. No, no. It just, it's proof how hard it is to figure out when all the bullets are flying around you on a Sunday, how are you really going to react? And I don't know that anybody's ever really been able to define that other than if it's an Andrew Luck type where you go, he's so clean as a prospect that there's no way this isn't going to work out. So what are the things that you look for where you go, okay, this is real and this might be a problem? I think the first thing that... In terms of the, the shift in evaluation is I no longer am concerned about the prototype. you got to get over the prototype. It doesn't have to be 6'4", 6'3". It doesn't have to be 225 pounds. The game has changed. You're not getting hit as much. You know, look at Tom Brady. You're, you're, not having, you're not having to deal with that aspect of it. You don't have to hold up physically like you once did. And because the game is so much more basketball, it's so much more finesse and spread out and about being in space. You're looking for a different quarterback, and it's been an adjustment. It really has. I mean, it it doesn't mean that a, that a Dwayne Haskins, who is a classic, prototypical pocket passer, you know, by every, every measurement that you ever look for, is not going to be successful. But it means that Kyler Murray can have success. And it just depends on, on making sure what the, the scheme is and where he lands. Because if, if you're spreading things out and you're doing things like Lincoln Riley, obviously he can have success. Cliff Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury was a starter. Lincoln Riley was his backup at Texas Tech. They've known each other for 20 something years and they come from the same air raid system. Now, Lincoln, both hot, <laughs> both great looking dudes, both really good dudes, um, in different ways. Lincoln has advanced it more. I feel comfortable saying that. Um, I think. I think when you look at. I think when you look at what he's done in terms of the power run and adding different elements to it, it is a little bit more pro style, and that's why the majority of NFL teams that go spend time with college coaches, I would say, Link going down to Norman is probably the the number one spot for NFL teams right now, trying to pick his brain to figure out, you know, the Chiefs and, and the, the the Bears. Those sorts of teams are advancing NFL offenses and making it a little bit more of that spread nature. 
And so guys like Kyler can, can work in that because there's a run element. There's the, the ability to be a point guard, which, you know, Chip Kelly always talked to me about that. He's like, I want, I asked him, like, what do you want? Who, who's the prototype for your kind of offense when you're moving to the NFL? He's like, Rajon Rondo, because he was a Celtics point guard at, the, at that time. You want a guy who's quick twitch, thinks fast, can get, go tempo, get the ball out. And then if things break down, yes, it's great that he can run. It's not a necessity, but it is an, an added benefit. Now, I don't know that Cliff and, and Arizona are going to wind up taking him at one. There's all, all, sorts minute, of, all sorts of rumors this week now. But it would only make sense schematically for them to take Kyler Murray at one. I talked to a scout the other night, and he made a great point on Kyler. And it wasn't even specific to Kyler, but he goes, you know, you've seen Oklahoma play. I was like, yeah, I was at – um I was at Bedlam this year, and every time I've ever seen Oklahoma play in person, I'm always blown away at the size of their offensive line, right? Like, you look at Oklahoma's offensive line when they take the field to go through their warm-ups. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that stands out. And I'm not dude, saying, like... Dude, four of the guys are getting drafted this year in the, in the first four rounds, and the guy who's not is just not eligible, and he's going to be a first-round pick at center <laughs> in, in two years when he is eligible. Honestly, like Oklahoma needs a title somewhere in the last most recent years because because every year when I watch them when they're clicking and I look at their offensive line, Beatenbaugh. I, okay. I think it's Beatenbaugh. Beatenbaugh. I'm mispronouncing his name, but he's the best offensive line coach I think in college football. They're not, and they're huge. And the the point the scout made was, you know, for all of this concern about Kyler, and yeah, it'd be nice if he's bigger, but. Is the offensive line in the NFL going to be bigger than his offensive line at Oklahoma? He's no. Like, go look it up. And no, he's like, but yeah. if, you, if you want to look in the other other end of it, though, first of all, it, you've got to be able to be spread because he's got to be able to hit seams and he's got to be able to move inside the pocket and have some splits that are a little bit wider than what you traditionally see in the NFL. But if you want to look at the negative, which scouts start there, really, he had 28 players on his high school football team, which was, they were 43-0 and with him as a starter and won three state championships, I believe. But 28 players other than him wound up getting full rides to Division One college football. And his left tackle was uh, Greg Little, who's going to be a day two pick out of Ole Miss. And his right tackle was his right tackle, in, or his was actually his left tackle at Oklahoma and uh, Ben Powers. Or... Bobby Evans, one of the two, one of those two guys. So he he had two tackles that were Division One athletes that are both going to be draft picks in the first four rounds. So he's always been protected. He's always had better talent. Just looking at the negative or the concern. So give me more. I think the juicier thing that you said on all that, and that's that's good. And but is this because the the whole oh well it was too obvious the whole time cuz like i'm going to ask albert breer about it and this is something that i did earlier when i kind of did this circular solo rant about you know whenever it's this obvious so what are you hearing that may end up this like being something other than kyler murray at number 1 on thursday nothing real i mean oh. you know just you get me excited for nothing then <laughs> no, i mean it could be real but nothing nothing that no nobody's going to say anything that knows something. There are only a few people in the world that actually know what Arizona is going to do. And those guys aren't going to say anything. I can call Terry McDonough right now. He'll pick up the phone, most likely, or he'll call me back later. Just pipe him in. Yeah, three ways to Rudy. But, <laughs> but he's not. I mean, he's going to, you know exactly what he's going to say to me if I were to ask something like that. Yeah, go, you know not. Go, go make love him, to myself, right? you know? Right. So <laughs> it's just, it's not even, it's not even worth it. 
Okay. So then, <laughs> I mean, I don't uh, know. I'm just listening to kind of what people are are saying. They some people think that they have a source that has a source that thinks that they know. I still think it only makes sense. The only thing that would, you know, that wouldn't even turn. If I decided Kyler Murray was the guy, and by I, I mean Cliff Kingsbury, and then you go to management and you go to to Steve Kime and say, listen, this is going to be the guy that we need to run this offense. The only reason Cliff Kingsbury is hired is for his offensive mind and for what he can do as an offense, offensively. He's not a great CEO. He had a losing record at Texas Tech. He doesn't know much about defense at all, and he's not going to have anything to do with the defense. So it's really all about what he can do with the quarterback and the offensive scheme. And with that in mind, if you're Kime, why wouldn't you give him what he needs to run this offense? That That's my whole thinking. Now, maybe he, he also was, Cliff was hired on January 8th, I believe. Kyler didn't, I mean, at the Super Bowl a month later, he still hadn't officially decided and was awkward on all those shows, the Dan Patrick show and, and awkward, a bunch of, yeah. you know, just didn't know what to say. So even a few weeks later, he didn't know if he definitively was going to just play football. So why, why do you hire Cliff if Kyler's really not even in the mix? So, you know, that part to me is is interesting. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's one of those things when it seems so obvious that I get a little like, wait a minute, right. what's going on? I've been then, waiting. I, I keep waiting for the shoe to drop. Yeah. All right, and let's F- talk about F- some F- of the yeah. other guys then. Yep, yep. Just because I don't want to spend too much time and make it like a full-blown Kyler thing. Unless gotcha. you had something more. No, 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 I'm I, good. Okay. Uh, Haskins feels like, depending on who you talk to, I think everyone's just sort of assumed that he's the second best QB here, and then a lot of people have had him going to the Giants, and now it feels like more people are off that, and that more people are suggesting that no, it's it's not Haskins on everybody's board at number two. Yeah, I think the, the unique unique part of this year's draft is Arizona doesn't technically need a quarterback; they traded up to go get one at ten with Josh Rosen last year. The Giants are really the only team in the top nine that really, if you look at their roster, their depth chart that needs a quarterback moving forward. And so if he doesn't, if Haskins doesn't go at six to the Giants, then you, you start getting down to Denver, Cincinnati, 10, 11, respectively, Miami at 13, Washington at 15. And so then that's a big fall. And you think, well, eh, it's not that big of a fall. It's only 10 spots. But that's like two hours of sitting there. And the cameras actually won't be on him because he's not going to be in um, in Nashville. But everyone's going to be talking about where's Dwayne Haskins going to go. Who's going to trade up for him? Is someone going to move up and go get him? Which could absolutely be the case. 11 of the last 12 first-round quarterbacks have been traded up for in the last three years. And the only one who wasn't was Baker, um, who was number one, and you can't move up from there. But if you like Haskins, he's the best pure passer in this class. He goes through progression reads. He's got a little bit of work to do in terms of seeing the field. He can see the field. He's a little late at times, but he throws with anticipation and accuracy and has, I think, the best pocket passing skills in this class. If you don't like him, you're worried about he's he's going to put on weight. He didn't love the process early on. Even Nick Bosa told me straight up, like he didn't love the process early on. He didn't buy in, but he started to, and then he became a better leader. 
I think he just was a late bloomer at Ohio State as he started to get more playing time and promise of playing time. But there's concern if you give him more money, more free time, and more fame than he's ever had, that he's going to kind of revert back to that. And that's what teams are, are concerned with. The interview process, I'm surprised by because he is very football intelligent and he's an easy, nice guy to talk to. Some teams are saying that it didn't go well, but some teams have reason to say that it didn't go well to try to knock him down so that he can move, you know, be available for them later on. So it's tough to, to sift through all the information with Haskins, but I do think some of the, you know, the process, the weight, the, the meetings and those things are, are hurting him from a perception standpoint. I don't know if it's really from a reality standpoint. Okay, so then what's the gap for you and your evaluation then back that up? I don't think there's much difference between the two. I think they're very different quarterbacks. I think if I'm the New York Giants, I'd love to have Dwayne Haskins. If I'm the Arizona Cardinals, I'd love to have Kyler Murray. Because right, they, no, because that, they I wasn't fit. even going there. Oh, I wasn't sorry. even going there. Sorry. You're you're jumping me. We haven't talked in it enough, I think. Like we're off right now. Sorry. Um bro. we talked <laughs> for like an hour last week. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Uh Drew Locke and, and Daniel Jones. Oh. Big, That's what I was doing. Big there. gap. Sorry. Big gap. I think Drew, I think the gap is small between Murray, Haskins, and Locke. Oh, okay. I think and, there, I have Finn, Ryan Finley from NC State as the fourth best quarterback. I have Jarrett Stidham from Auburn as the fifth best quarterback, and then Daniel Jones is at six. I have a fringe. You have him behind Stidham, so yeah, you really don't like him. Yeah, I have. A, I think he's a backup. I think he's a. You know, he can. He maybe can develop into a functional starter, an adequate starter, but I think he's a, a great backup, and I draft backups in, on day two at quarterback. And Mel loves him, right? Or Mel thinks he's going high. Yeah, Mel thinks he's going high. I don't know what he, you know, he loves that someone told him that he's going he's gonna to go in the first round. You heard me, Kuiper. <laughs> you heard me. Because I heard you on this podcast about a month ago. Yeah, I appreciate you for downloading that. Subscribe. Yeah, no Subscribe. Okay, so is there is there a guy out of that that group after Haskins and after Murray? Which I actually think your answer to the Murray Haskins split, which was not the question, it was a really good answer. So I appreciate that. So sorry that I, I didn't ask that question of trying to figure out the, the gap between those two because you don't seem to think there's much of a gap. Um, what's give me the quick riff on on all of the guys where. You didn't even mention Will Greer in that. No. So that's, I, yeah, <laughs> that I, sounds like a no. I would take Will Greer in like the fourth round. Yeah. I think he, Will Greer, obviously very productive, mature guy now. He's been through a lot, transferred from Florida, average arm. I think he needs to see it and it needs to be open for him to be successful. He throws a really good deep ball. But the intermediate stuff, anticipation throws, I think he really struggles. He's, he has mobility, but he doesn't throw well at all on the run either. That's, that's another thing where if, if he's on the move, if you get him off the initial spot, that's when he really struggles. And listen, Tom Brady's got no mobility, but he can move around a little bit in the pocket and, and then throw when his feet are a mess. And, you know, the same, like Peyton was the same way. You got to be able to throw after the initial spot to have success, especially early in your career when you don't have all the answers. You know, you don't know what defense you're looking at sometimes. You, you know, it's, it's going to take three, four years to really have a good feel for what everyone's trying to throw at you. And, and 
That's why I think it's really it's becoming more and more important to have the ability to create, not running. And I think everyone's part of the reason I'm not a huge Daniel Jones guy is everyone's mixing up. Oh, he ran a four five. He ran for 180 something yards against whoever it was. He, he's he's got real run you know breakaway speed, great. But inside the pocket, can you create your own space when you don't know what's going on with the defense and pressure starting to get to you? His eyes start to drop. And that's when things get, you know, things get bad. Okay, let's talk about the tight ends from Iowa. Because, you know, Iowa had a good year. They ended yep. up ranked, nine wins. Nate Stanley, you look back on the stats, you're like, you know, he actually had a, a decent year I like there. Nate, Nate Stanley. He's underrated. Yeah, he is underrated. That's, that's fair. Because it felt like there was maybe a little bit of a, a weird stretch there where, you know, he had the bad Penn State game. Mm-hmm. He wasn't good against Maryland, even though they won that. It, he didn't really have to do much in that game. How do you evaluate two first-round tight ends? Well, see, it sounds like you like Stanley. I think there's times with skill guys it has to be really challenging when you're trying to figure out, like, wait a minute, are these guys absolute freaks and studs? And it's not really standing out because of the way Iowa's going to run their offense and you know what they're going to do with their quarterback. Like, yeah. I'm just, I just—I got to imagine there's a lot of guys over the years that you run into. You're like, wait a minute, this guy's actually sick, but it's just they're not going to use him the way, say, a Big Twelve team would use him. Yeah, I, Iowa had no wide receivers. I mean, nothing. It really didn't have a run game this past year, and and their offensive line was okay, especially by their standards. So, um, what happened was this: Noah Fant who was supposed to be the guy at tight end, got frustrated because he wasn't getting all the, the targets. In 39 he, catches. Right. Like that's, but, that just seems so crazy in today's world of college football to be like, hey, that's the guy. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but like that's the point that I'm trying to make here. So anyway, right, but right. 39 catches isn't that bad for a tight end in college football. But you know, then the dad sends out some tweets, and, <laughs> you know, and then there's all sorts of stuff back and forth. And I remember we sat down with, with both the Ferences, the head coach and, the, and his son, the offensive coordinator, and there clearly was frustration. And I think Fant, at some point, basically mentally kind of shut it down. And Hawkinson then was like, you know, this is my, my opportunity. And he was, a, as, as they said, like, they knew he was going to be good, but he really, like, broke out the summer before this past season. They could see even, like, workouts and, and all sorts of stuff, that his testing numbers and everything were just different. He just finally, like, you know, grew into himself, and he he was awesome. And the, the thing is, you just like how many guys come out from college football now, where you know from day one they're they're a starter. You can put them in line, they'll block. They're actually tough and like like blocking and will finish. And they can release off the line of scrimmage and go get open. They can run after the catch. Then you can flex them out and you can use them in the slot or out wide. And so like the whole game today in the NFL is being able to keep the same 11 guys on the field, offensively and defensively, but being able to be multiple, as coaches will say, you know, do different things. And so now if, if, you, if you're stuck in your base 4-3, meaning four defensive linemen, three linebackers, now I can move a guy out who I know can stay in line and block and, and beat your strong side linebacker with strength and size. But I can move him out, and now he's a mismatch for your strong side linebacker. And now you got to bring a safety over, and that opens something up for everybody else in the secondary. You know, working down the field for your wide receivers. That's to me. You just these guys are rare, and that's why I think he's going to be a, a top ten pick, or at worst case, he's going twelve. You've got 
Uh, Jacksonville, Buffalo, Detroit, Cincinnati, uh, Denver 10, Cincinnati at 11, and then Green Bay at 12 all need tight ends. So he picked the perfect year to come out. He's, he's going to be a top 12 pick on, on, uh, on Thursday night. Who's your favorite defensive player? Bosa. He's just that good. Is he better than his brother? No, but he's close. And he just, you know what I love about those meatheads? And I mean that in the, like, the most positive way. How could anybody take that negatively? <laughs> they, they know nothing but just football. You know, that's just like they live it. He was, when I was talking to him at, at Columbus, it was just, it wasn't about like, you know, the visits or anything else. It's like, yeah, I'm just working with this guy. I'm with Joey down in uh, Fort Lauderdale and he's, he's been so good. He's worked like our technique and we're working on hand chops and this and that. And you could just see like, that's it, all that matter. It's not about his brand. Yeah, he wants to make money. We all want to make money. I get it. But it's not about like any of the outside stuff. It's about like being a better football player than Joey and being the best football player in the league. And that means something. And he ran, he ran faster. He's not quite as big or quite as strong as Joey, but he's a better athlete. And he ran a short shuttle, by the way, that would be considered really good for a wide receiver. And he did it at, what, 279 pounds. So, or 66 pounds. So I, I don't know. I, I just think he's, as long as he stays healthy and you can say that about any prospect, I, I think he's a, a can't miss. Give me the defensive player then that, you know, people seem to be talking a lot about, but maybe scares you a little. Um, you got to use Ed Oliver properly, the defensive tackle from, from Houston, but I think he's going to be a really good player. I think NFL team is going to get it. He's got to keep his weight up in the 280s. Which is going to be a struggle, but um, but if you use him as a three technique, think Warren Warren uh, Sapp, think Aaron Donald. I'm not saying he's that level, but he's got explosiveness that fits perfectly as a three technique in that one gap system. Meaning, like put him outside the shoulder of the guard in that gap between the guard and the tackle, and just let him use that quick first step to cause stress, and and all of a sudden you get a guard. Or a tackle, or both guys that are kind of you know stressed to try to get back and 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 get in position, and then he can work his hands to to work inside or outside and do all the different things that he needs to do. He he's got some work to do in terms of his hands and finishing as a pass rusher, but if he's used properly, I think Ed Oliver is going to be a really good player. Um, two of the five six best players in this draft are from Mississippi State, but they both have quote unquote alerts. Jeffrey Simmons, the defensive tackle, had the off-the-field issue, but he's, by all accounts, a, a really mature, good person. Uh, but he also had got the, the knee injury that could cost him his rookie season. I, 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 there is at least one team that thinks he might be the best player in this draft just based on tape. But he's going to fall to later in the first round because you're, you're losing a year with him. And some teams have sweat. to... And then uh, Montez Sweat is... He's a better player than people think. I think people are lumping him in with like the Barkevious Mingo types. He's got power. He's got shock in his hands. He can play. Um, ask any offensive lineman in the SEC, and and they'll tell you that this guy, in order to be successful as a pass rusher, you can't just have speed and athleticism. You got to be able to threaten with power because offensive tackles in the league are they're so good. You know they know what they're doing and and. If you're not stressing them and making them worry about both aspects, then they can overset and do different things to, to take away your speed, even if they're not 
typically fast enough to get to that spot. And that's why guys like Barkevius Mingo and there's a whole bunch of them, just the undersized speed rushers. Um, Vic Beasley, he's been up and down. You know, those guys that don't have enough power in their game typically struggle when they get to the league. Is there a common theme then from some of these dudes? And it's, you know, Vic's not SEC, but where, you know, for years there'd be these Florida guys, you know, and LSU's had a few of them. I mean, a lot of this is, it's kind of like the Alabama theory where there was a stretch there where it's like, hey man, look at all these Alabama busts. And it was kind of weird there for a couple of years. You're like, what's going on with D Milner and what's going on with some of these first rounders? And then if you pick it up from after that, like Alabama's been an absolute tear where a lot of their draft picks have been really impactful pros, but. Yep. There's these edge guys that I think we all fall in love with, right? That you go, and maybe you don't do it anymore, but there'll be a dude every now and then. Like Mingo's a good example where you're like, oh my gosh, this guy coming off the edge. Like this is going to be nuts. Like look what he did down at LSU. And there seem to be a lot of misses with these guys. And I don't know if that's just we have more opportunities for misses or if there's a common thread that you're kind of pointing out here. I think it was the speed rushers. We went through a, a phase of speed rushers. Who was the uh, was it Landry? Who was the um, the Georgia guy? Who went to Steelers. Floyd. No, oh, Floyd's another oh. one. Um, but yeah, you're not the, talking Dupree. No, no, the other guy opposite him. Doesn't matter. Uh, there were like seven or eight speed rushers in like a three or four year span that basically all of them busted out, and that it goes back to exactly what I was saying. And I, I've learned lessons over the years. And that's the biggest one is because you go down in the NFL, you know, go to ESPN.com and go to the, the sack rankings every year. Almost all of those guys are bigger or have like power elements to their game. Almost all of them, like the top 10, 15 sack guys almost every single year. We did a study on it because I was starting to get pissed off because like, I'm like, I don't know, like I'm watching and these guys are productive and I see the speed and the explosiveness and, and then it finally clicked. And I remember telling Kevin Whitel, who now works with the um, the Baltimore Ravens as their southeastern scout, I remember being like, "We need to let's let's sit down, let's look. We got to fix this because we've liked a couple of these guys and we shouldn't." And it was so we transitioned. We did the study, and it was like, "Wait, this guy's got power. This guy's two eighty five. This guy's two seventy nine. Jarvis Jones is who. We're Jarvis Jones, thank you. Jarvis yeah, Landry, six was, years ago. Yeah. So that you know what, and that was right around when we. We did the study. It might have been that year. So Rudy had that, by the way. He got in my ear and goes, Jarvis. So of course he did. Stud. He's on it. Versatile. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's the point. I just ruined the end of that point. That's all right. I'm sorry. So that's it. So you have you feel like you've been able to correct this then? Yeah, I think so. Now, Brian Burns is the outlier, outlier this year only because I think coming out of Florida State, he – to me, is a guy that you can move off the ball. Think um, Anthony Barr from the Vikings coming out of UCLA. I disliked Anthony Barr, and I was I gave him a second round grade. He went in the first round. I thought Rick Spielman, what a mistake. Um, I, I I told Rick <laughs> when we talked about it after. What did he say to you when you go, "Hey, you made a mistake with your first round pick"? I, I did. He he's like, "What did you really- think?" Everybody and I was like, him. I like your second round pick. I think it was a corner. Or I think they had two ones, whatever it was. I was like, yeah, I like him. He's like, you didn't talk about Anthony Barr. I'm like, yeah, I just, I, I think he fits in that mold of guy. Like that, that was right, right around when we did that study, and I thought he fit in that mold. And he's like, yeah, we're gonna play him off the ball. Zim's got a plan for him. 
And I was like, oh, okay, we'll see. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's been up and down if you really look at it. But his first couple of years, he was awesome. And they, they utilized him correctly. And I think if, if the team that drafts Burns uses him off the ball and moves him around and it makes him a versatile player, then he's going to have success because he's, I mean, he's four, five, three in his length and his athleticism. There's not many dudes that can do what he does. But if you're just going to use him as a four, three hand in the dirt edge rusher, um, I don't see it. I don't see it. Did you go somewhere? No, I'm right here. I'm just, I have my list. I have all my notes and stuff that I want to do. Take a nap? No, not at all. This is incredible. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm sweating. Sweating. This is so exciting. I still have rapid fire coming up, so don't, yeah. don't. Give me the Marquise Brown breakdown. Are we talking Oklahoma, the offense? The numbers are, like, the production is massive. I know there's the foot issue. Yeah, Liz Frank injury, 166 yeah. pounds. He's going to fall into the 20s. I'm told may, you know, there's a possibility out of the first round, but I, I'm i all in. My chips are all in on Marquise Brown. He's the best wide receiver in this class. He's the fastest. It's hard to explain. I, the combination of quickness and speed is better than any receiver that I've ever evaluated. That's the best way I can put it. I would take him. Oh, yeah, say would, that again? Wait a minute. The combination what? of quickness and speed. So like the vertical ability but then also combined with the ability to to get off of the press because he's so agile and, and to create yards after the catch, Marquise Brown is the best wide receiver I've ever evaluated with that combination of of speed and quickness. See, those are the guys that scare me. Like We go through all those edge guys, and I've done this segment on the radio, so I'm not going to name all the ones that I put on a list because I'm not going to remember them all. But when I think about... And Marquise is different because he was a complete guy. But when I think about some of these hybrid, just get him the ball and we'll figure it out, Jeff Demps, right, Florida. What Jeff Demps did on Saturdays, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. I just figured it out. And then this he guy can run routes. Right, Demps couldn't. Demps right. was a track kid who they just got the ball in college. I guess it works out. Like DeAnthony Thomas is one of my all-time favorites. I never felt like anybody ever got a clean hit on him. I think it happened once on the sideline when he was at Oregon. Yeah, but he was I'm, slow. Yeah, which is insane because on the field, it looked well, like nobody you know could ever catch him. I, Dexter McCluster is one of my other all, all time yep. favorites too. But he listening to what, you, what you're saying, and we don't even have a forty time on him. But I think you you need to get another job if you don't see the speed. But functional speed, meaning the quickness, the ability to drop his weight, get in and out of breaks, and then the speed to like get vertical. The functional football speed is. That's what to me stands out above like any of those other kind of guys that you that you mentioned and, and anyone else. I'm mentioning like hybrid. Get me the ball. We'll figure it out, guys. And they almost always flame out right in the NFL. This, and but, and but I he, understand. Right, I understand. You're he talking did about some. Brown. He did some gimmicky stuff. Like they moved. They put him in the backfield, and there was some of that stuff. But why wouldn't you? Um, but he also would split out wide and and run the route tree. You know. We got rapid fire draft stuff with McShay. I should have done some nod stuff, but my list is already made and I want to screw them up. But first, you know that I love Dollar Shave Club because it has everything. I need to look, feel, and smell my best. What I love even more is the fact that I never have to go to a store. It's actually awesome. The stuff just shows up and it's there. It works. This company's terrific. Get in. That's because one, Dollar Shave Club delivers everything I need right to my door. And two, they keep me fully stocked on what I use so I don't run out. Here's how it works. 
Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready. No matter what you're getting ready for, they have you covered head to toe. For your hair, your skin, your face, you name it, they have it. They own the bathroom. And they have this new program where they automatically keep you stocked up on the products you use. You determine what you want and when you want it, and it shows up right at your door from once a month to once every six months. That's what I do because we've got the toothpaste deal, the citrus wash, the body wash, um, the travel wipes, the whole deal, man, because you just do it. And even if you're not around, like it's just me, I don't have to do it all the time. I think I have it set up every three months. Plus, with their handsome discount, the more you buy, the more you save. And right now, they've got a bunch of starter sets you can try for just $5. After that, the restock box ships regular size products at regular price. So what are you waiting for? Get your starter set for just $5 right now at dollarshaveclub.com slash Ryan. That's R-Y-E-N. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Ryan. Ryan. Okay, you ready for rapid fire? You know what? Actually, wait a minute. This okay. could be part of rapid fire. Is there anything else that you needed to talk about that I have not prompted you on? Um, How's your house treating you? It's good. What's the weather like? It's really good. I mean, I've been in a dark studio for, for three weeks now. Just give me something. like. I'm actually coming beach? to Boston tomorrow. Oh, you are? Yeah, but you won't be there. Be in Nashville? You're going to um, go to Nashville? What's that? You're going to Nashville? Yeah, they, I got a ticket and everything. <laughs> it's really great. Which day, though? Are you part of Thursday? Uh, I am part of Thursday. Yes. I keep on getting a chip away. Maybe I'll be on twice on ESPN and maybe once or twice on ABC this year. <laughs> How many people? By the time have- I'm 55, I'll be on like four times on ESPN. I swear to God, with the numbers that I see now, there might be a chance that I'm scheduled to be in Nashville. It's crazy. Everyone, this weekend. Yeah, everyone's there. Somebody asked me, are you going to go? And I went, well, I don't really see the point of me going. Um, and I know it doesn't really make any sense. Like you and I aren't going to be hanging out. So I, I wouldn't do that. No. I'll, um, you hit up the back bar though with the stage coach. Back tell bar, him, stage coach. Yeah, Saturday night, I, I might have a minute. Tell him I sent you. Or I could try to hook you up with Dirk Bentley. I think Herb Street probably has a connection or two in town. He's probably going to be with Dirk Bentley. Probably. So who knows? Who knows? I'm name dropping the hell out of this right now. Yeah, you are. Um, but if you do need any restaurants or anything like that, because uh, Sarah Walsh, our good friend Sarah Walsh, lives down there. Oh, really? And uh, nice. I've I've stopped into Nashville last uh, last six months. I've been down there twice. Nice. Think about maybe even getting a townhouse. How much you know property how are you buying? Right. Are you in on the Scottsdale place? McShane and I have started. You prepared your wife. Like, how did you? How did you feel about that latest property that I sent you in Scottsdale? Um, my wife said, "Oh, that's cute of cute of him to think about me." I hate. I can't stand Scottsdale. I'm, she can't stand Scottsdale. I, I don't know. She doesn't like the desert. Okay. All so, right, well, so I'm out. I was like, "All I'll right." Adjust. I was like, "So that means I'm out too." <laughs> yeah. What does that mean for me? <laughs> have you have you paid attention to this draft coverage? Okay. Rapid fire here. Let's uh, let's get this thing rolling. All right. Give me the team and player that is most connected in the first round. Do you feel like this is the best rumor? This is the safest, strongest rumor that I've heard. Nick Bosa to San Francisco if if he's still there. I think Arizona, part of the reason that some of all these things are leaking, if it turns out that Arizona just stays home and takes Kyler, I think the reason they're leaking is that Arizona's trying to get San Fran to move up to just get an extra pick to move back a spot to take Kyler because San Fran – or Arizona's trying to get San Fran to, to make that move. Okay. All right. Give me a program, college program in a position where you go, you know what? Like LSU's been DBU here a little bit. 
There's other things that have maybe been a little outdated. Give me something recent right now where you're like, you know who pumps out great offensive linemen? This program. Oklahoma. And it, oh. I, I would have. I know we talked about it earlier, but I would. Yep. Oklahoma's offense. Everyone talks about the spreads and the quarterback and all that. They they're going to have four offensive linemen drafted. They're all nasty, and their their offensive line coach is as good as it gets in, in the country. Give me your best interview story that you've heard from this year's combine. Oh boy! Or maybe ever. <laughs> uh, no the, time stamp on this. Yeah. I'm going to have to pause this for a second while I think. Um, do you want me to hold on and give you another one so you can kind of do two things at once here? No, that's all right. Um, Ryan Finley, surprisingly enough, for as intelligent as he is and six years, I guess was <laughs> six years, six years of, of college, starting at Boise State and moving to, to NC State, was a different cat, I guess. not He's not everyone's favorite flavor. Let's put it that way. Um, I would kill it in the interview. The, the one there was, I I can't mention the person's name, but three years ago, it was the only time that someone got kicked out of an interview that heard of <laughs> because he was such an ass. I've never. <laughs> I would I would think, and I think you back me up here. Yeah, I would kill it. I would. Yeah, I think be you'd be great. pretty good. You're no. you got a good combination of like meathead and intelligence. No, I would sit down and just be like, hey, forget all these stupid questions last time I cheated on my girlfriend. Like, I know all the tricks. Like, I'm here to put people in a body bag, and I take orders. <laughs> Devin White Devin White is going to be the best interview, probably. It's going to be one of the best interviews, the linebacker from LSU. I, there are two guys that I, in the last few years, have actually, when the game was over and I was done interviewing the coach, took the time to go over and, and to tell them how much I appreciated them and how like I want my son to grow up to be like them. And one of them was Devin White, and the other one was Trace McSorley. Those are the best two dudes in terms of just what you want your son to be like and what you want in, in a player, I, I think, that you could find. Okay, so you're most sure of this player for this class, and then we can finalize this with... Not a Jamarcus Russell haunting, but you know there's a guy right now that's going to go in the first round that you still can't seem to figure out. DK Metcalf would scare me. I do think he loves the game. I think he's going to work hard. His short shuttle and three cone were, and I know people have used it before, but it's like it's so alarming that it's worth using again, were pretty close to Tom Brady's. And I want you to think back to Tom Brady's body at the Combine. And I want, you, I want you to think about Tom Brady running routes. Just close your eyes and think about him running an NFL route, like getting in and out of a break. I'm just thinking back to the Super Bowl. Not good. Wheel route. Yeah, wheel route. Uh, but, yeah, because he can – what he does, he does extremely well. Get vertical and, and go up and, and use that speed and size to, to win. But he's got to become, first of all, a little bit more physical when the ball's in the air. That's the thing that I noticed over time. It, he wins a lot with just speed. It's a little bit like the speed rusher thing. You know, you got to have more to your game, and he's going to have to develop that. I think, listen, we all love weight room champs like you. We all love the six-pack and, and, and all that stuff. That's great for the beach. Yeah, He's got to get flexible. He's got to chill on the weights. I mean, like, immediately. And get, go to yoga. Find a zen. 
do something different to to become more flexible because he's too tight right now. Yeah, I would, it's like the Brady Quinn thing. Like, hey, dude. Yeah. Sick pipes. Yeah, look but, great. But look. I'm starting to get flexible now. I'm working with the trainer, female. No big deal. <laughs> I'm going to leave it alone for once. All right. Um, and uh, who I feel most comfortable with, TJ Hawkinson. I just think this guy's can't miss. I love that. Yeah, That's good. Iowa tight end, one year production, but he just he loves the game and he gives you a little bit of everything. I know you love the game, slave to the game. So uh, enjoy the week, enjoy Nashville, Appreciate and I'll, it, I'll talk to you soon. All right, we'll catch up soon. Make sure you check out Todd McShay's mock draft for the first round in 2020. He absolutely despises doing it, and it's the thing that he does that is the most popular all year long, and that's why he does it. So we have Albert Breer from SI.com. We'll talk draft with him. A lot of good stuff coming up there, and also a really interesting anecdote about Baker Mayfield and the Patriots. But first, a word from ZipRecruiter, because we all know how challenging hiring can be. It's hard to find qualified candidates. takes a long time. Too many applicants. People just hitting you up straight up in your DMs on Instagram, asking to be your assistant. It's just not going to work, guys. I don't need one. ZipRecruiter makes it easy, okay? So all you have to do is go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. That's R-Y-E-N Show. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spots like the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And just aside on this whole thing, they have been involved with ESPN Audio for so long that they're getting returns because so many of you are actually using ZipRecruiter. Okay? So normally, you can really pay attention to the companies that are really doing a great job because of how long that relationship has gone on. And Seriously, like we thank ZipRecruiter. If it wasn't for ZipRecruiter, we wouldn't have these podcasts. We wouldn't be able to do all this stuff. I probably wouldn't even be around for the last year. And not to make it personal, but this product works. All right, so there you go. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-Y-E-N Show. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. With the latest on the trade market and any other draft stuff, uh, his article was great this week. It always is. The MMQB and SI.com's Albert Breer. When I read your article, I, you know, there's a bunch of draft stuff that I want to get to too, but I also feel like the trade market, even though we're, we've been through it, is important stuff. The trades in general, is it just more fun? Like, why are teams in the NFL more willing to do trades? More teams are willing to move maybe a first-rounder for a guy with two years left on his contract. It just, growing up with it, it felt like, no, we can't do that yeah. in this league, and now it's opening up more. Well, I, I think there's a couple of things, Ryan. I mean, first, you know, I, I, there's no question that it's the younger GMs, and I think they're more open to the idea of finding different ways to build a team and, and understanding that if everybody's sort of going on the same track, it can be tougher. Um, number two, I would say that the amount of turnover in the league is a big part of it, too. You know, when you've got coaches and GMs turning over every two or three years, you're going to be less invested in players. And if you come in and you're a new general manager and there's this first-round pick for four, from four years ago that you didn't, that you weren't a part of drafting, I mean, you're just going to be naturally less attached to that guy and more willing to deal him. So I think that's part of it. And then I think there's like an analytics, you know, quietly there's an analytics um, influence in football, too, where – 
I think, you know, the teams are able to ascertain the value of draft picks a little bit better. And if you're able to do that, you're going to be more willing to move them. You know, if you have a better idea of what that pick is actually worth, you know, and, and, and have, you have great context on that, you probably have a better idea um, of what you're giving up, and that will make you more comfortable, you know, moving those picks. So I, those are three of the elements that I think are really at play there. Okay, so trade market players. Are there yeah. any other names we still need to pay attention to? I mean, I know Frank Clark with Seattle, he got tagged for like yep. 17 million. He tweeted out everybody's lying to him, which look, everybody <laughs> seems to hate the tag, although the tag I still think can be good for a player if they get tagged and then they get the deal. Yeah. But, um, give me, give me some of the other names that are worth paying attention to. Here. Sure. I mean, the tag is matured. I don't think the tag's a bad thing anymore, just to touch on that. I mean, I think Frank Clark will Agreed. probably be trade to the Chiefs for, for, for a one and a two. Um, you well, know, you think he will for, be. I think he will be traded to the Chiefs for a one and that that'd be my guess right now. I mean it's complicated because they have to work out a long term deal and so I'm not saying it's done or anything like that. But if I had to guess right now, I I tell you he'd get traded for a one and a two to Kansas City, um, which is a significant deal, you know, and it tells you how much more um how how Kansas City felt about D Ford. Uh yeah. that they were willing to deal him off for a two and now they're turning around and trading a one and a two for, for Clark potentially. Um, some of the other names, uh, you know, Eric Armstead, who was a first-round pick a few years ago, a top-ten pick a few years ago in San Francisco. Um, they've got a surplus of interior defensive linemen. I, I, they're not they're not putting him out there on the block, you know, and shopping him, but I, I think that they're going to listen to trade calls on him. Some teams have their eyes on on him. Um, you know, Justin Ellis, a big defensive lineman from Oakland, who's a really good player. So the, the Raiders re-signed him last year. He's been shopped a little bit. A couple of linebackers, Mason Foster from the Redskins, um, Kelvin Smith, you know, from the Jaguars, who was part of that whole voluntary, non-voluntary thing last week with Coughlin, um, I think also could be had. Joe Schobert from Cleveland is another linebacker name I've heard. Um, and I know, Ryan, like a lot of people are looking for these big, you know, skill position names and everything else. You know, the sense I get is that it's going to be tough to come by those guys. Duke Johnson's one name that you hear out there, but – um, because the draft is so weak at those positions this year. And so teams that, you know, might have a good second receiver because the draft class is weak this year might be a little less willing to move those guys. And so if you're out there looking for, for, for skill position talent, it's kind of a tough year to be, to, to, to be looking. So let's go back to the top of the draft. Yep. I'm always skeptical when it feels like for two months, and that's what it'll be <laughs> that we're like, oh, yeah, it's just Kyler Murray. And then I'll read – or hear about, well, you know, this is what they could be doing. And and I think, look, if Murray's your guy, if the evaluation is that Murray's your guy, then you can't screw around with it. But the fact that right. people are trying to argue that Arizona likes Murray, but they're doing this because they want to trick somebody else into trading up for a defensive lineman, and then they'll just take Murray a few steps back. And I don't know. I almost feel like yeah. either it is this simple, it's this simple, so we feel skeptical, or people love the idea of moving down all the time when it's actually a lot harder to move down than I think the media makes it out to be. Yeah, and I, and I would agree with you. Like, I think if you're really in on a quarterback, you don't mess around. That's why I think the idea that the Giants taking one at 17 instead of six um, doesn't make a lot of sense, you know. And so the Cardinals, you know, and, and look, I, I believe the affection between Cliff and Kyler is real. It goes back to when Kyler was a sophomore in high school. Um you know, I, if Cliff tells you, this is my guy, this is the guy that can make my offense fly, I think you have to really, really consider that. And so, um, you know, I, I just take the relationship between Cliff and Kyler, and then I look at the Cardinals' handling of Rosen, 
And, and to me, all the breadcrumbs lead you to believe that the, the Cardinals are going to take him first overall. Now you ask why? Why is there all this all, all this you know water being thrown on it um, during the, over the course of draft week? I mean, it's certainly possible. I don't know for sure they're taking Kyler. It's certainly possible they take Quentin Williams instead. Um, and I'm not ruling that out. One thing that uh, another team brought up to me that was sort of interesting, um, teams have been told in the past not to tip their hand because this is obviously a big entertainment product, and this is I mean, it's a big week for the NFL. You know, outside of Super Bowl week, it might be number two um, from, from a league office perspective. And so I've heard in the past teams have been told, hey, you know, don't kill the drama before the draft. So if the Cardinals are sort of finding a way to get it out there that maybe they haven't made up their mind yet, you could look at that as, as, as the team doing a solid for the league. God, that's that's actually kind of funny. I mean, that yeah. I that mean, it's happened before, Ryan. I'm telling you, it's happened before. Well, give me an example. I like I. I'm just trying to think of one I could actually say here. Oh, um, I gotcha. All right. <laughs> I I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll give up your back source. You. I, I I I'd have to I'd have to think of one. I mean, I know. So I I know last year, Dorsey really liked playing that game. Um, and really, like, sort of, I, I, Dorsey, like, like, from talking to him about this over the course of the last year, I think he really sort of relished and trolling everybody with it and messing with everybody in it. Cause there's nothing, I mean, when you have the number one pick, like, is there really a reason to, to, to shroud it with this much mystery? Probably not. And I think Dorsey really sort of got into it. Um, and I don't know if anybody at the league office told him, hey, you know, sell down a little bit. I'll give you a good example the Buccaneers. <laughs> in 2015, right? So they take Jameis Winston. Um, I can tell you for a fact, they made that decision like over a month ahead of time. And I know the football people there were told, hey, it wouldn't be a bad thing if we just sort of kept this under wraps and we we were able to kind of maintain the mystery over everything. And so there's an example of a team that had the number one pick that I think, you know, word got back to the guys in that building that maybe it'd be good for the league if, you, they were able to maintain the mystery on who they were going to take. This is a team and league thing. Like whenever I hear, and I don't want to get too off track with this, but when people are like, oh, the NFL just loves owning the calendar and that's why they move the draft back and all this stuff. A lot of this stuff to me feels like, and I don't mean to take a swipe at Darren Ravel here, but no one's going to mind. But it's like <laughs> when Ravel tweets out that this is worth $23 million in exposure. And you're like, that's fake. It's all fake. I don't care what the the data tells you. I don't care what the the formula says. Like nobody's getting that twenty three million. You can't cash that in for anything real. And so when I hear about the NFL doing this kind of stuff, yeah, I get it. Oh, hey, we're t- you're talking about us. Look at all this extra exposure. I don't know that there's a real gain there, like an actual tangible gain. And I don't care. Yeah. Like it doesn't bother me. And yeah, it is more suspenseful. And if I'm at ESPN and making all these decisions, like it's better for the drama of it. And you're absolutely right. Like Dorsey loved that last year. He loved yeah. it. He loved it. It was yeah. like, Hey, everybody wants to talk to me in this whole deal. So I'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with it. I just think that it's an obsessive thing for something that doesn't really have the same return of value. Yeah. That everybody seems to think it is. I think you got to understand, like the, the the mindset of the league people, of the league office. You know, I think there's two things there. All right, like number one, I mean, there are people where their job is actually to, you know, I, hey, you know, and, and this is, I mean, look, this is why they, they take five people 
and take them off the grid and say, those five people for your next, for the next three months, your job is just to put the schedule together, right? Like that's how serious they take ratings. That's how serious they take exposure. Um, you know, that's just the sort of investment that they put in these things. And so if you've got people that are dedicated to building those sorts of things up, of course, there are going to be people at the league office that are going to be very, very invested in the idea that they can create more buzz around around something like the NFL draft. I think the other thing here that is at least somewhat legitimate, I mean, look, they have me, they have you, Ryan, right? Like, you're watching this regardless. Even if the Cardinals had a press conference today and said, we're taking Kyler Murray, like, people like you and I would be locked in no matter what, Right. So what they've always been reaching for is the casual fan, the fan who either could take it or leave it. And they believe that that fan is the one that they're going to be able to pull in with the idea that there's some mystery around the first overall pick. And when the commissioner gets up there, no one really knows what's going to happen. Yeah, no, I'm, all of that makes sense. I guess it was just a, a bit of an aside. Sorry, I don't want to get too bogged down. At all. All, good. all right, so so Murray, you you feel like Murray at number one here. That there really, there's not going to be some mysterious reveal on Thursday where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I, I still think Kyler won both the two and the draft really starts at three, um, which is, I think, the, been the assumption with most teams really going back for about two months now. Um, what's fascinating is the idea that Kyler could drop. Um, and if he it doesn't go number one overall, I do think he could fall farther than people think. Now, again, I think he's going number one, so it's probably immaterial, but it sort of, I think, paints a picture of, of what this draft class is, you know, for, for all the teams. And I've had a couple quarterbacks coaches tell me that this, this reminds them a lot of 2014 in that if you, you talk to 10 different teams, you might get 10 different rankings of the quarterbacks. They might be ranked 10 different ways. And if you remember in 2014, two days before the draft, you know, we all thought Blake Bortles was falling out of the top 15. Well, he went third overall. And on the flip side, we all thought Johnny probably go in the top 10. He went 22nd. And the lesson of that class, if you want to look at, you know, all the disagreement and everything else, uh, the, the lesson of that class and, and that type of class, the best two quarterbacks in that class were two guys who went in the second round, Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo. And so I think it's sort, that sort of year where, you know, I, I've talked to teams that have Will Greer from West Virginia, number two. So, you know, I think it's that type of year where you go to 10 different teams, they're going to have the quarterback t- ranked 10 different ways. And my point here is Kyle Murray is not exempt from that. Like, I think if he do- if he weren't to go number one overall, if Cliff Kingsbury weren't to be involved with a number one overall pick, you'd probably have the same sort of kind of intrigue over where he could fall the same way you have with a Dwayne Haskins, you know, a Drew Locke or a, or a Daniel Jones. Wow, that was really good. All right, so then I've heard teams say absolutely quarterback for the Giants at six and mm-hmm. it being a name that, um, you know, it's not Haskins. It, I don't know if it's Locke. I don't know if it's Jones. And I've heard other teams say absolutely not that Gettleman's, you know, Gettleman is <laughs> another guy that loves screwing with everybody on this. And I'm not, I don't blame yeah. him for any of that, but Gettleman's falling into that category of if he took Daniel Jones at six, everybody's going to think he's a bigger idiot than they already do. And I'm not saying I think he's an idiot, but he's he's on that path of where no one is going to think he knows what he's doing, which I think is really unfair considering the Carolina run that he had. Right. Right. So, and, and I think, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you just take it. Take it wherever you want to go. And get no, I mean, like, I, no, I think you're right about that. I mean, he did a great job in Carolina. He didn't get fired in Carolina because – of the, he didn't get fired in Carolina because he did a bad job putting the roster together. He 
he he got fired there because he pissed a bunch of people off. <laughs> and, <laughs> no you know, way. like, I mean, like, if you look at it, like, his job was to come in and be the jerk. You know, like, it was come in and clean up our cap. Well, he did that. He sort of re- he built, rebuilt the roster on the fly where they went 12 wins, then they had the rebuilding year where they won the division still, and then they came back and went to the Super Bowl in year three. And so, I mean, he's shown he knows how to build a roster. He's obviously part of, you know, a, a lot of good Giants teams back in the day. And to me, they're as interesting as any team in the draft because I think logically me and you would sit here and say, if you're going to take a quarterback in the first round, you're literally just tying your job security to the guy, right? Like your professional life is tied to that guy. So if you feel that strongly about him, why would you risk losing him, right? Does that make sense? You know, like, like it's like if, you're, if you feel that strongly about a quarterback, like why would you risk losing him for 11 picks? And – but, I mean, the more teams I've talked to, the more, you know, you hear, oh, Dave's really old school, and Dave's going to be true to his board, and Dave's probably going to take a defensive player at six and, 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 and just go and grab a quarterback at 17. It doesn't seem to make a lot of logical sense to do it that way, um, but there are plenty of teams out there that are expecting the Giants to handle Thursday that way. Is there a name, a team, so just matching up a team with a player that, seems to be the most solid of all the rumors for the first round. Yeah, I mean, uh, Nick Bosa to the Niners is – I, that I one's think too it's been easy. Out this, yeah, it's, that one's too easy. Um, I would give you – so Jonah Williams with the Jaguars is interesting, um, and here's why. I, I think there's going to be a run on tackles. There are really three tackles that you, you can expect to go in the top half of the first round, and I think there could be a run on them. Um, and so, you know, going back to like January and February, you kept hearing Juwan Taylor's name uh, connected to the Jaguars. Here's where this gets interesting. So Juwan Taylor is uh, going to be like, a, I think a lot of people think he's going to be a pretty good player, but there's some prima donna elements to him, right? And so what I've heard over the last couple of weeks is that the Jaguars, because of what they went through with Leonard Fournette, because of what they went through with Jalen Ramsey, maybe looking for more of a Coughlin type of player. And so now it's gone from Dewan Taylor being connected to them for six or seven weeks to now it's turned to, okay, now they're going to take Jonah Williams. So that might be the most interesting one. Um, that one, you know, I, I've heard the Lions connected to TJ Hawkinson quite a bit. Um, just trying to think if there's any others further down the line that would make sense uh, that you hear a lot. There's one that's slipping my mind right now. Oh, here's one. Ed Oliver and the Bills. I think that that would be the floor for Ed Oliver. If you were to get by the Jets at three and get by the Bucks at five, um, the one thing you hear that sounds really solid is that the Bills absolutely love Ed Oliver. And I don't know if they'd move up for him, but I think if he were to get to nine, that that would be the floor for him. Well done. Crush that segment. Some guys really struggle with that, and you really warmed up. Um, Rosen. <laughs> Any chance that any of this stuff happens? I know, I think in your article you had, was it the Chargers, Dolphins, and Giants? I know you had two of those three. Yeah, just, so four teams have touched base with the Chargers now, you know, or touched base with the Cardinals. Yeah, the four teams are the Dolphins, okay. the Redskins, the Giants, and the, uh, and the Chargers. I, my sense is the Redskins are more focused on, um, on the draft. Um, when it comes to the quarterbacks, and that right now the Dolphins, I think, would be inclined to wait till 2020, which some other teams are going to do too. I mean, there is uh, some teams are looking at this and saying there's a better class coming next year with Tua, Justin Herbert, Jake Brom, and all those guys. So, you know, the one team that that that, that I just 
I just have had my eye on for a while now is the Chargers. And, you know, they're one of these teams. And I put the Patriots and the Packers and the Saints, um, the Steelers in this, in this group where they've got an established older veteran quarterback. Um, they're probably not going to be bad enough anytime soon to draft one high. And so they're going to have to find a solution eventually, and they're going to have to get creative. And to me, Rosen's a creative solution where if you flip a pick for him, the low end for it is that you've got a very affordable backup. $2 million per year for the next three years is an incredibly affordable backup quarterback in the NFL. So that's the low end and a very good backup, too, with starting experience. And then the high end is that you've got your future. And so I think the Chargers are the one team that, you know, sort of sticks out as one that where it would make sense for them to flip a pick to uh, flip a pick to Arizona for them. It's for Arizona to be trading them out of the conference. And I think the Chargers also get the added bonus, too. I mean, look, you live out there, right? The Chargers are looking for relevance. Going into that new stadium, having a quarterback of the future who's from there, that would be a nice little bonus for them, too. I keep calling him San Diego, so I think you're absolutely right. Hey, I think you basically encapsulated the relevance out there, right? Yeah, honestly, I've, I had a friend ask me for tickets and he's like, do you know anybody with the Chargers? And I was like, what? And then I go, oh my gosh. I was like, I actually do think I know somebody with them. So shout out to the Chargers. Thanks for getting my friend tickets to the Chiefs game. That was early before everybody was on the Chiefs. I have, uh, two more things here. So yep. in your, MMQB piece, I think you mentioned this at the end, and I apologize if I'm getting this wrong. I just was reading too much stuff last night. But did you point out that Josh McDaniel's visit with Baker is, is one of the things that, like, there are these late, last-minute visits, uh, visits yep. that teams can – yeah, that was you. The teams yep. try to, like, slide under the radar by right. having these last-minute visits with players before the draft. Yep. Josh McDaniel's – go ahead. Josh McDaniels went to Oklahoma last year to see Baker. I think it was the Monday, but three days before the draft. Okay, so just to give everybody the timeline here, because I knew what would happen, because I went and looked it up. McDaniels had told the Colts no on February 6th. So I think he accepted the contract. It's the first week. The timeline's the first week of February. And then you do a really good job of pointing this out, that it's not so much that it was coach and waiting, which we all did from the outside. Like, ooh, how long does Belichick have? But... Apparently his contract wasn't that great with the Pats, and the Pats yeah. waited until he took a head coaching job with the Colts to then give him a better contract, which actually kind of says a lot about that organization that you'd go, look, there's not very good anti-Pat stuff out there. <laughs> when I read that and went through it, I'm like, why would you do that? Why would you, if you appreciated this guy, have to let him go take a head coaching gig and then embarrass himself to get a raise as your OC? That didn't make any sense, and it actually felt a little Belichick-y craft anyway. All right, so then... We're talking Monday, as you point out, Monday before the draft, McDaniels goes to Oklahoma to visit Baker. Why would he do that? What's the point there? Uh, I think as much as anything, now remember, that was before, and I think it was Adam that had the first Baker to the Browns thing, right? Like, so that was... It was week of. Right. So so I think yeah. it was Tuesday of that week that, that Adam had that. Okay. Um, and that was really the first, like, whoa, they're going to take Baker. Because if you remember right, like, a lot of people were talking Sam Darnold with Josh Allen to that point. Um, sure, but I still so, think that if you kick the tires on the Baker thing, like, as much as it publicly was like, whoa, yeah. what's going on here? I believe there were teams in the top ten that go, you know, we really like him. So Yeah, I, just I tell you this. In. I mean, I just – look, I think if Baker had fallen a little bit, that was the one guy in last year's class that the Patriots were – would, would seriously have considered 
making a big swing up to go and get. And so, you know, if you're going to do that, you want to sort of keep your intentions quiet about it until the time comes when the guy's going to be available. And then you sort of blow the other team away with whatever you're going to put on the table. And so, you know, I think that that was part of, part of the deal there. And teams will do this late too, because they just don't want stuff to get out there. And if you do it two or three days before the draft, there's a better chance that it's not going to get out in the media. There's a better chance that you're going to be able to keep everybody's mouth shut. Like there's just, there's, there's, there's less opportunity for something like that to get out. So I think part of the reason why the Patriots, you know, put Josh McDaniels on a plane to go to Oklahoma um, the Monday before the draft last year was, all right, like if this guy were to slip at all, say the Browns let him go and, you know, he hadn't been connected to the Browns at that point, the Jets let him, say the Jets take Josh Rosen at three over Baker, which I think some people thought was a possibility at that point. If he starts sliding, maybe we go and make our move up. And so, you know, when you've got sort of quiet intentions like that to do something, you don't want to show your hand until you get to, to draft night. And then maybe you can get in a situation where you can use the pressure of someone being on the clock to move up. And so I think that's what that was about. There are all kinds of reasons why teams do these things late. Um, sometimes it's to hide information. Sometimes it's to tie up a loose end. It can be a medical thing. It can be a personality question, whatever it is. But, um, yeah, you know, there's, there's a few days before the draft. A lot of times you'll see some of these coaches or these personnel people, they'll get on planes and they'll go and visit these prospects wherever it is to try and figure out exactly, you know, to, to try and get like a last piece of information or try to get, try, try to close the file and, um, and, and at the same time kind of keep the information, you know, where they're at quiet. Wow, that's a really good story. It's good. Uh, yeah. I can't wait to tag this podcast with Baker Mayfield to the Patriots, <laughs> and then I'm going to put your name right underneath it. Yeah, so that then, then, then like 20 minutes later, it'll be like report. Uh, Baker Mayfield was in the Patriots sites or something like that, right? Perfect. I love it. Yeah, that was there you great. go. There you, you go. Did, you did my whole my whole promotion for me. Um, hey, man, enjoy the week. I know we're getting close to it, but I always appreciate the time, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. There you go. I had something else planned for you kids, but that's just too much. I don't want to mess with this podcast. This was just a draft NFL deep dive. If you want to hear my NBA stuff, you can with Bill Simmons on The Ringer. Or you can check out Zach Lowe because make sure you're listening to the Low Post podcast with Zach Lowe every week throughout the NBA playoffs for breakdowns of all the games and stories. And congratulations to the Jazz for now only being down 3-1. You guys are really pumped about it. You guys are really, really pumped about that. Okay, that'll do it for us. And make sure you subscribe, enjoy the draft, and we'll be back probably on that basketball stuff uh, as I'm flying back to the East Coast this weekend. And... Actually, that's irrelevant because I'm not going to see any of you. But in case you wanted to know what I was doing, that's what I'm doing. Talk to you next week.